Welcome to the show. This is your host, Ace Ambender, and uh, I forgot to say that on the podcast that you're about to hear. So, hi, I'm Ace. Um, this is a sneak peek look at the Bucket Problems bonus feed. I did not feel like I could keep these guests totally hidden behind a paywall because I'm extremely excited to have them on the show. At the same time, it is the bonus show. There was a lot here. It's about twice as long as a normal bonus episode. So what I've done is provide a little bit of a uh, teaser here on the free feed. You will hear the first little more than half of the episode uh, with, I'll say it right now, Spencer Hall and Ryan Nanny of the Shutdown Fullcast. You probably got that from the title. And then uh, if you would like to hear the full episode ad-free, please consider subscribing to www.thebucketproblem.com. That is where the full episode will be posted. Without further ado, here is the teaser version of the show with Spencer Hall and Ryan Nanny. Welcome to the Bucket Problem bonus show. Uh, if you are here, you're here, you are a subscriber, and we thank you for being one, especially everyone who's joined up since the game and the championship game. It's been a hell of a couple weeks for, obviously, Michigan football and also the site, so we really appreciate that. And we've got a couple very special guests this week. Uh, Secret Bases, Ryan Nanny, uh, Channel 6's, and Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network, Spencer Hall both of the shutdown full cast, which I sure hope you're familiar with um, Spencer and Ryan uh, joining us both in the capacity of college football experts and uh, esteemed Florida grads. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. People don't know this, but Spencer actually went to Auburn. <laughs> don't start that lie. I can tolerate, <laughs> I can, to- I can tolerate any number of outlandish fantasies about my pedigree background or history, but that, that is a step too far. Auburn grad Spencer Hall is not okay. I am not that close to Jesus, and everyone knows that. <laughs> uh, you are actually, I, I think, this year closer to Michigan football than I have been because you have attended one more game than I have. I realized that while putting this together. Um, and also, you are two up on me in uh, Michigan related tattoos at two to zero. So. I feel like I'm, I'm talking to somebody who actually outqualifies me as a Michigan football fan this year. At the moment, Ace, that's true. I am more of a Michigan football fan than you are, particularly because when I showed up for the Ohio State game, y'all won. So that's a one-to-one correlation, and I'll take it. That's true. I think both me and Ryan are not allowed anywhere near Michigan Stadium for uh, the game for the near future. So the people, the people that were sitting uh, that that initially we were sitting with. Uh, was a longtime MGO blog community member and friend. So we got together and it was like, hey, listen, we'll see you inside. We have to go see a guy, you know, up in the box, but we'll come down. It was like, cool, cool, great, plans. And we never made it back. Like just <laughs> completely lost them. And I thought, and I talked to her after the game and I was like, I'm very, very sorry about that, but we should do this again in two years. We, we, we should do the exact same thing because I don't want to jinx anything. That is the nature of Michigan Stadium. You you walk in and all of a sudden there are 110,000 other people and you're like, every plan that I had walking into this place is probably not going to work out. I, I think every yeah. single time I plan to meet up with somebody in college, 
it was like, well, we're three sections apart, and that is an impossible barrier to cross at this point. Uh, oh, when when there was a field storming, all, all plans went completely went completely out the window. And as you said, as you said on the, I think it was the full cast after dark. This was maybe the most orderly and pleasant field storming in the history of field stormings. They're generally calmer than people know, but usually there is a moment where if you are in the gap between the wall and the field, there is this sensation of being overwhelmed by a wall of orcs. Like that can happen. Like you don't lock your knees because people are running, right? Because they want to get to the middle. And at Michigan, it was a, it was a gentle trot. There was still the alarm of, am I about to be crushed? But generally, people were very well behaved. And uh, they also climbed back over the wall to get out because, I mean, I'm quite familiar with the stadium. And the big old tunnel on the side just goes uh, like straight out into the parking lot, (laughs) which makes everybody going back out through their gates uh, just really wonderful to me. Oh, it's it was it was. Listen, it was, first of all the greatest experience I can possibly imagine at a football game. It was tied. Like it was top five for me. And um, so like, just know that whatever little critiques or complaints I have watching Michigan, absolutely crack skulls against Ohio state in the snow is everything that I've ever wanted. I thought Jason Kirk was going to start levitating when the James Earl Jones and Jones intro rolled, not because it was James Earl Jones, which is cool. That's a flex, a notable flex, mm-hmm. but it's it's doubly cool because he starts talking about Midwestern values, <laughs> and that's when and that's when that's when Jason hit the goddamn roof. Jason was like, yes, yes, this is, now now we're cooking. So, uh, just the man, just the coolest experience, like absolutely the the coolest timing like i don't think i'm really going to get that one back which is you know what you want you want to go there and be like i can't i couldn't do this twice yeah uh 2011 felt sort of that way but it was also like well luke fickle's on the other sideline and it's an interim here and they're like six and six it didn't i mean it had a, a similar sort of uh getting the weight off it uh, kind of sensation but i i think if michigan fans were honest this one felt a whole lot different than uh than 2011 and it's been a long time since then, too. So, uh, yeah, this was this was definitely uh, a bit of a I don't know fan exorcism. I think uh, Ryan, as like a I don't know if I want to call you nonpartisan. I, I I don't know what your rooting interests were for that game, but how was your experience of the Ohio State game? Nonpartisan seems fair. Like I I am at this point um, professionally and probably personally too where I really just want things to go wrong. And at this point in history, Michigan beating Ohio State is wrong. And that's the thing that I wanted to happen. So I was happy for Michigan in the same way that, you know, when Michigan plays Illinois next, I will be rooting for Illinois because that's wrong for Illinois to beat Michigan. Deeply so that's just where I'm at. And and I understand that that kind of makes me a hater, but like this is what appeals to me at this point in time. And I the weird sensation about this game specifically was I kept waiting for the si- the sign of things to turn. And oh, you never, and me both. <laughs> you know? And it just it just didn't it was interesting that it didn't happen. Like there was there wasn't that point where you were like, "Oh, 
Michigan has decided to kick a field goal instead of going it for it from fourth and one on the 50 or something, or they've thrown just the worst pick you've ever seen, or Ohio State just scored on a kick return and has immediately, you know, there, there wasn't that thing that was like, I see, here is the struck, here is like the, uh, the, the exhaust port on this battle station. And, and that to me was the most unusual aspect of it because it's not, I don't think that anybody said there's no way Michigan can beat Ohio State. It's that I think, at least I assumed, if they do, it will feel a little fluky. And it didn't yes. feel fluky. And that's still very weird to me. I, I'm processing it too. Yeah, that they just beat ass. Like, that's, that's when you're watching them after the first quarter, I thought, well, the stunning thing is here is that they're just knucking up on him. They're straight up pounding them at the line of scrimmage. And when in the third quarter, when you saw pulling guards, burying safeties and linebackers, you're done. There's nothing like watching a team get pounded out, like just watching a team get flattened. There is no experience. Like I've seen plenty of being a Florida fan uh, who came up in the 90s. I've seen plenty of teams get blown out in a quarter with a passing attack. But watching somebody just get thrown around the gym like that carelessly, oh, it's magnificent. Because even Oregon's win over the Buckeyes was not didn't feel exactly like like yes, they they had they went to the well on a few key run plays, but most of that game felt more like okay, you're gonna give us you're gonna give us a lot of cushion. We're gonna just throw a lot of six yard balls and get yards after the catch and you're going to fu- like th- the fluky thing there arguably was Ohio state missing on like three fourth and twos, but these were very different losses for Ohio state. And yeah, I, I, I am still, I am not fully calibrated to what this does or does not mean for Michigan. No, I've tried to, I, I've talked to a couple like Ohio state people in the couple weeks since then. Uh, and it's uh, they're in, they're in quite a place. Cause I, I mean, I mean, they're sort of, like Ryan Day is going to have a fascinating offseason ahead of him in terms of deciding what to do, particularly with that defensive staff. Obviously, they've hired Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator, which seems like it might be a pretty good idea after the last couple of years he's had. But they they have not announced who's departing uh, when he comes in. So it's going to I mean, there was a lot of bl- blame placed on Kerry Combs, who got demoted after that Oregon game. Um, but I don't know. It. For a Michigan fan, it feels like Ohio State is in a like bit of sudden crisis. And considering where we were at heading into the season with Michigan like completely turning over their defensive staff and having to make a lot of adjustments, it, it's just, I mean, I'm still processing being here because so many things had to line up right for this to happen that I'm, I'm still in a state of shock. And now you get to play Georgia. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> um, I do, before we get to Georgia, and I do want to talk a lot about Georgia, um, there was another game in between. It was Michigan-Iowa. It was, I mean, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz kicked a field goal down 14 nothing in a game where his defense showed really no ability to stop Michigan and was caught on camera smirking while, while it was happening. And it just felt, I don't know, like maximally Iowa in that they made it to the Big Ten championship game, had no chance to win, kind of knew it, and then, I, I appreciated that Michigan also leaned into their end of that. You think this is a bad thing, though, <laughs> on I Iowa's mean, part? I feel I feel for Iowa fans, not in that, like, I don't think they're, like, I mean, they're probably in the, like, 
easily in the top two of Big Ten West fan bases in terms of like what that fan, fan experience must be like. But at the same time, that offense is just so brutal to watch. I mean, right. I, I get that you get to lean into like a certain identity, but when part of that identity is we literally cannot pass, that 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 seems like a sort of painful existence. So, so Ace, I want you to imagine that you have crashed on a desert island with no supplies save for um, a Jansport backpack full of vodka bottles. This is a good start. There are two ways you can approach this situation. You can say, all right, I will tap into my survival skills. I know that I should not just drink all this vodka because it will dehydrate me. And it's like, I may have other, I, I may need it to disinfect the wound. I may need it to start a fire. Like I have other things I can do with it. And you may try to figure out like, how can I eke out an existence on this desert island with the hope of one day being saved? And, and, and that's a choice you can make, and movies and television would certainly push you towards um, that survival instinct. What I would argue is that Iowa, in the Big Ten title game, took, to me, the saner approach, which is they said, well, I'm going to die here, so I'm just going to drink all this vodka right <laughs> now. And I think that's fine. Like, I, I don't think anybody, you know, we can talk about some of these, you know, in some of these other matchups, you can say, well, if they had done these three things, what, Ace, can you come up with seven things that Iowa could have done short of get a shitload more turnover luck and they all are pick sixes and fumbles immediately recovered for touchdowns that lead to, yep, Iowa wins that game. No, I mean, it has to involve Brian Ferentz getting, you know, sent away somehow and that right. does not seem possible. Right. So just nope. so, so just drink the vodka then if you're Iowa. That's I think that's Kirk Ferentz smirking because like A, he's there and that means Wisconsin's not and that means Minnesota's not and it definitely means Nebraska's not. <laughs> and like I, I think that I think that is a man who accepts his fate. I such that it is. He's already gotten away with everything. That's like there's nothing that he's capable of doing right now to spoil what he has meant to that program. And there is nobody who can or will fire him for anything. He's a, he's sitting on 10 games at Iowa and he knows every Iowa fan with any shred of historical understanding of that program knows and the bottom can last for 40 years there. You can be bad forever. So where else are you going to go? That's why he's smiling. He's already made he like like think about the amount of money that he has made past his actual utility. He's got to be thirty mil past it at this point, and it doesn't matter. He's already gotten away with it, and he probably he's got his son an inside track on the job because as much as you and I want to say, hey, there's no way they would hire Brian Ferentz after watching that offense. His last name is Ferentz, and all politics are local. And like. It would not shock me if Gary Barta's successor is Kirk Ferentz, if, if Kirk <laughs> Ferentz wants, wants to do that, which is an evil thing to put out there. I'm, oh, man. You I would apologize, who, but I'm not sorry for it, to be honest. Good. Hey, you know who we want supervising future investigations of possible <laughs> improprieties at <laughs> Iowa? Kirk Ferentz, people. Well, yes. I mean, Gary Bart has done such a good job so far That's that, fair. you know. Does this also mean Kirk Ferentz would become the spokesperson for the playoff committee? Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's how Iowa gets in at like nine and three. I'm sorry. I just thought they had control in every game that they played, mm -hmm. which is certainly <laughs> true. 
I think they were very much in the Michigan game in control because they insisted that Michigan score points. The the playoff committees decided that time of possession is the uh, one and only true metric to determine the the playoff participants. Yes, you can't you can't score if you don't have the ball. And if Iowa had the ball more, they were trying to score more. That's what that means. I just imagine them holding it for 39 seconds before every snap that season. And then going in like, what can you do about it, fuckers? I, again, their, their, their brand of anti-football is deeply compelling to me. That they do not try. They have no ambitions. All they really want to do is play defense, punt. And if they can run the ball, but that's but they're, secondary. But they're fi- that's, that's an option. They're fine if they can't. It, you know what? Either way, they're just going to take the lowest road toward winning. And the lowest road toward winning is just waiting for them to throw the ball to you. And a stunning amount of teams will do that. The triumph of cynicism is the like Iowa ferret story. That if you took the most cynical approach to football possible, and that would be, we're not even going to try to do anything. People who try are stupid. Oh, it's, We're not going it's, to- it's IP troll football is what it is. It's like I have sat on a bunch of copyrights and websites. I have purchased a bunch of expired patents, and uh-huh. I am just waiting for somebody to stumble into my litigation trap, and I will extract $80,000, $150,000 from them, and I don't do any – I don't have a business. Or, or the bankruptcy lawyer or the undertaker. Basically – that that's what Kirk Ferentz is. He's the 17 year old who looked up millionaires per profession and saw mortuary <laughs> science and said, "Well, can't beat death. Might as well join the team." That's that's what he is. But here's here here is the flip side to it, because Ace, you have a note here. How awful is Iowa? I mean, fuck. People watch that on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah. When it when it works. And when they fuck up somebody else's day and you're not involved, it's one of the funniest things in the world. It's one of the funny because they're Iowa is one of the few teams in college football that a consistently is good, if not great, like consistently is going to win like nine to ten games. And along the way, almost every one of those wins, the opposing fan base is going to be fucking furious about like if you lose to. Oregon or Oklahoma or even Iowa State at this point, you probably are like, well, you know, that's a well-run football team or they did some really creative, you know, they've got a really creative defense or this, that, and the other. But everybody who loses to Iowa feels cheated, feels like they've absolutely been scammed. And when it's not me, because Florida only plays Iowa in like every fifth Outback Bowl, it's funny as hell. It's absolutely funny as hell. The 55-24 win over Ohio State is one of my favorite non-Michigan games ever. Yes. But I also had to sit through. I was at Michigan losing uh, to Iowa in 2016 in Kinnick at night, uh, the week of the 2016 presidential election. And uh, you can probably imagine uh, how many red hats were in that crowd. Uh, <laughs> it was... Uh, we, I like barely even wrote a recap because uh, everyone involved at Emco Blog was like, we, we need to leave. Like, we need to leave right now. Like, this game is over. Nothing good is coming out of this. Let's go. Let's go. Um, like, you could convince me that Penn State has lost their last five games against Iowa by a total of two points. And even though that math doesn't make sense, I'd say, like, yes, that's right. That is yeah. correct. I, I mean, ever since Penn State and Illinois broke math earlier this year, I, I, 
I don't know yeah, what to but do with Penn, any of them. Penn, Penn, Penn State's Penn State's always intriguing to me under James Franklin because Iowa finds ways to score seven times and only get twenty-seven points out of yes, it. Sure, they they are they of, are the blackjack dealer who can't bust. Out of a matter, yeah, because they they're not even trying. Like there's no effort. They're just waiting for you to screw up, and somehow they will find a way to cash that in. Penn State manages to do that while expending a tremendous amount of effort. <laughs> They're trying so hard to run the football. Penn State, what if like, we're, what if Iowa was trying its hardest? <laughs> See, I like, was going to say this about Northwestern, but Penn State is so much meaner. <laughs> it is, and more accurate. Like, think about it. Kirk Ferentz's omelet three. It's three eggs thrown into a bucket and thrown over a fire. That's yeah. it, right? Take yeah. take the bucket, no liner, throw it into a fire. It's like the toxins. They they just flavor the omelet. That's fine. <laughs> You're like, that's not even a cooking vessel. And he's like, is it? I just did it. And meanwhile, Penn State has taken a lock, like a, a, a beautiful La Cruze pot. And they have taken nothing but the best ingredients. And they nonetheless took three eggs and threw them at high speed into it over high heat. That's, they do the same. Didn't even crack them. Didn't even same, crack them. No, didn't even crack them. Just threw them right the fuck in. And that is every single Penn State game. You get the same results. With five times the effort, this is why Kirk Ferentz was laughing, punting uh, now twenty-eight-three. Nobody else's nobody else's calls his bluff on this. It's the, the Big Ten is an amazing conference. I, I just I challenge anyone to find a conference that that provides so much entertainment out of such absolute shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really incredible. I, 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 I mean the, the 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 ACC week for week can. can can give you money, like That's give you fair. a run for your money there. Pit, pit you exists. Know? <laughs> I, 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 mean, I have to, I have to I, grant that. I, every time, like if it's November and you see, uh, and you see, you know, eight and O team going up against, uh, let's see, a three and five squad. You're just like, hand me my mortgage. It's going straight down that three <laughs> and five squad. <laughs> I mean, every, Wake Forest was a thing time. this year. Wake yeah. Forest. And they handed Michigan State a Heisman candidate. I don't understand how that works. Middling, like, just you see the Wake Forest SUV cruising down the road with a 44-ounce drink in hand, living the American dream. And there's that drifter, a middling UNC team waiting on the side of the road. Wake's like, <laughs> you know what? Throwing a two-by-four at your tire. <laughs> We <laughs> waiting on that overpass with the cinder block. Yeah. <laughs> Hobo Mac Brown is messing your entire life up. Cause that's what the ACC is about. Uh, it's they're like Purdue, except um, much warmer. <laughs> Respect to, I, I know this is the wrong podcast to do this though. Respect to Ohio state for at least taking care of this this year, which was seeing Purdue on the schedule and doing the full Arnold Schwarzenegger commando prep for that game. <laughs> like, like strapping it up. Is that why Ohio on. State lost to Michigan? They were too focused on beating <laughs> Purdue? That's what I'm going with from now on. <laughs> we, just, we just solved it because, like, really, when you write the story of this Ohio State team, the MO was, we're not losing to fucking Purdue. <laughs> we're not. And they did whatever, whatever happens, we're not losing to Purdue. <laughs> They're like Where's Michigan State jokes? with Michigan, except... With Purdue, I love mm-hmm. it. No, 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 it's Mich- Michigan State. Same thing. They're like, "What's the mission this year?" We're like, "We're gonna kick Michigan's ass." Everything else negotiable. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm so happy that this year I could actually just laugh at that aspect of it because that loss sucked. But now it's like, you know what? It's great how little that mattered in the grand scheme of things and how angry that makes Michigan State fans. I appreciate it now. <laughs> You're the bully I ran into at the rental car desk. Like, oh, that's where you ended up, huh? Huh? <laughs> Pushing rental cars. Shouts out to anyone who works in rental cars, by the way. And uh, the, the, that rental car agent got a $95 million raise, which is really spectacular. Good for that rental car agent. Mel Tucker, the rental car agent who got a $95 million raise. <laughs> uh, LSU really did a lot for a lot of people this offseason. Um, they always do. L- Listen, they always do. LSU may not always spend its own money wisely, but they'll help you spend yours even stupider. <laughs> All right, I think that that brings us close enough to Georgia that we can now dig into the matchup first, and then we'll get into the uh, the Florida man's guide on to hating on Georgia in a little bit. But first, like, how have you know? Obviously, Georgia looked incredible this season, and then ran into Alabama, and Alabama is Alabama. Um, so I think this is more from Michigan side. But how much has the last two weeks kind of altered? Uh, your perception about how a either hypothetical or now real Michigan Georgia matchup would go. I've gone all over the place. How about you, Ryan? Like I keep, I keep sort of going, well, that would work. And then I've done the thing when you have too much time to think about a matchup. I'm now like, well, I don't know. Both, both things could happen. So there are a couple of fundamental things that I think have not changed. Looking back at a few Michigan games this season and looking back at the sec championship. The first thing is, and this is the thing that I think is true for all of the playoff teams and for a lot of the teams just outside that group, finishing drives is probably the most do or die thing you will do in the game. Like Alabama had one situation where they kicked a short field goal where it was sort of like, "Mm, I don't know if that was the move they kicked uh, from the Georgia 23. They had a first and 10 at the Georgia 23 and, and ended up getting a field goal. And then Georgia tied the game on the very next possession. So that was the one place where it was like, I don't know about this, but every other time with the exception of like, they kicked one with two minutes left to make it a three score game. They finished with touchdowns, the Michigan state game for Michigan. You have first and tens from the Michigan state, 15, 28, 22 and 20 that all end in a field goal. On, On the other hand, on the other side of this, Michigan didn't even attempt a field goal against Ohio State or Iowa. So from the very from like the most basic perspective, if you if Michigan starts out this game in the first half and is kicking 35, 32, 38 yard field goals, they are just they are just setting themselves up to lose. They just are. Um the the thing that I probably understand the least is why <sighs> is why Georgia changed its defense in the way that it did against Alabama specifically. Now, now it, it should be noted, like Michigan doesn't have Bryce Young. And I think Kate McNamara's actually like done more than perfect, more than serviceably, but Bryce Young has thrown 180 more passes than Kate McNamara. And they each only have four picks like his, his ability to not only make tough throws, but make good decisions is otherworldly. And it was compounded by uh, Georgia not making good or sound choices about a, how they were going to blitz him 
and B, the refusal to play Alabama's receivers tight. They decided they were too worried about getting burned and just got burned differently as a result. So I I think that's the part that I don't see holding up one-to-one. Like I think Georgia will not run the same defense they ran in the SEC title game. And I don't think I don't think Michigan and Ace, you can correct me if you think this is wrong. I don't think Michigan can put the game on Cade McNamara in the same way that Alabama put it on Bryce Young. It would be surprising. I, I, absolutely. I mean, Bryce Young, especially going downfield, has a, a lot more dynamic ability. McNamara. I mean, we've we've uh, we've called him check down Cade as a compliment because he just gets the ball. He's very good at keeping the team on schedule, but you probably don't want the game resting on his arm and Michigan has certainly uh, coached the offense that way so far this season. Um, I mean, obviously that running game is what they, they lean on the most. Right. And, so, and, and that's, I think the, the thing that is the biggest question because there are Florida is technically the team that has, I guess, run the ball best against Georgia and it didn't, that game didn't go great. Um, yeah. But you look at some other teams like, Arkansas certainly had a running game and they ended up with 75 yards on 29 attempts and no touchdowns. Bama's running game has been dinged up this year and they did fine, but they certainly weren't counting on it. Missouri has a great running back average less than four yards a carry. So, so I think the question is, I don't know if Michigan, Michigan was, is going to have to do something outside of the ordinary to beat Georgia. That doesn't mean they can't, but I, I think if they're just like, well, we'll go out there and we will dominate the run game, that feels like playing into a trap. I've said a lot. Spencer, what do you think? I think they're very similar teams in that um, neither of them is going to play well from behind. Right? That's not That's not ideal for either team by design because they're a little more chugging and less explosive on offense than a team like Alabama. Alabama, by the way, did some stuff to really put Georgia in a bind and make them break their rules, right? that This is a very studied defense. It is layered. It requires a lot of communication. Um, but ultimately, if you can get them to play in cover one, if you can get them to play man by really, you know, moving in the run game and taking advantage of numbers in the box, you know, they're like anybody else. And if you can run out of bunch sets, which is what, Alabama did a lot of they either started a bunch or they shifted to a bunch and when they shifted to a bunch all of a sudden no one knows what to do your one becomes your two your two becomes your one and nobody's real sure who to cover and when you're unsure of who to cover even if you pick up Jamison Williams you're not going to be able to chase him across the field so especially if you're combining that with like well-timed tempo yeah absolutely like well-timed tempo is definitely part of part of the plan. Excuse the dog here. Very excited. <laughs> well-timed. I mean, uh, the dog was probably excited about the fact that Michigan has actually showed some tempo this year, which uh, previously under Harbaugh and going back to like the inception of tempo, Michigan has not done very well. So that actually sounds like something that Michigan can possibly pull off. Um, I would not have said that up until a couple weeks ago, but Josh Gaddis has really shown something. I mean, he just won the Broyles Award, and I think it was pretty much on the strength of the last two weeks. Sure. Uh, and that yeah, uh, and that was shocking, to be honest. 
I think there is something else though, and it's something that Michigan will be able to show a little bit of in order to upset people. One, trick plays are never a bad call against a great defense. They're not because those guys are so good, so used to facing bread and butter, and everyone's you know best shot of their best plays. Throw something they haven't seen at them. They're so they're they are so controlled, studied, and designed that if you can get them in improv mode, you can might be able to steal a score off them. Additionally, you guys have a backup who can move, like really move, like can run like what I call either a three eight or a two eight uh, in JJ McCarthy, and that's something that I, I don't care who you are throwing at a mobile quarterback with some simple stuff to confuse the defense is never a bad idea. Yeah, and I've always been a little nervous about rotating two quarterbacks in, but they've actually done a pretty good job of it this year of timing it right and not messing up the flow of the offense and the credit to Kate McNamara for not letting it throw him off his game either. Um, we've talked a lot about whether Michigan can move on Georgia. What do you guys see on the other side? Um, Ryan, we can start with you about uh, a Georgia offense that obviously um, leans pretty hard on an extremely good offensive line and, five-star running backs up and down the depth chart, but also have a quarterback who's maybe maybe like Cade McNamara, a guy who's looked at it limited, but um, is maybe a little bit better than his reputation in Stetson Bennett? Um, it bears repeating because it will, it will happen at least once. It just has to. Stetson Bennett will break out a run that is absolutely infuriating because – he looks like he constantly looks like he woke up late for the fraternity composite photo. <laughs> like there's nothing about him that is like, oh shit, we have to keep a spy on this dude. Um but I think you know Spencer brings up an interesting point about playing from behind, and they brought this up in the SEC championship game. <clears throat> Bam uh sorry, Georgia's first team offense has not seen that much late game meaningful experience most of the time the defense is so smothering and the offense takes advantage of good field position turnovers all these these amazing running backs that you're talking about to jump out to you know a two two score three score lead and just sort of slowly let that expand to fill the space around it um and it was kind of telling that the Georgia offense in the second half felt less sure of what it was trying to do than it did in the first half. And, and, and that was when they were most stressed. So I think this is all a very complicated way of saying that the quiet thing that was in the background of Georgia's regular season was the looming question of, are these teams any good that Georgia's beaten? And that doesn't mean Georgia's not good. That doesn't mean Georgia's not very talented and, you know, I think has done a good job of evolving their offense this year in a variety of ways. But looking over their resume, it's, you know, like pre-SEC championship game, it's like, okay, there are two and a half teams on this list that I'm like, yeah, I think that's a team that can push you the whole game. Um, and Michigan, if nothing else, seems capable of doing that. So to me, there's going to, Georgia's offense is, it's not a question of can they do what they want to do? Because it, I think, I think they can. It's will they stick with it when they need to? That was the thing that surprised me most about the SEC championship game is a lot like 
the last uh the previous year's game against Alabama they ultimately were like well we're going to put too much of this on Stetson Bennett which is just not a good choice it's not that he's not a capable and reasonably talented quarterback but things just got out of alignment and I honestly don't know if they will do that again it was weird that they did it against Bama frankly he'll also make mistakes like he will have a run that will infuriate you because you go like he's one of those quarterbacks who gets 97 percent of the way to get inspired. He's like 97. Then you go, ah, no, we don't need to spy him. We really need another guy to, to stop this run game. And I am very concerned about Michigan's offense and what they do versus Georgia's linebackers, because Nicobe Dean's one of the best players in America. Mm-hmm. And when you watch him work, it is, it, it, I've never seen anybody who is this smart, aggressive, fast, like just they keep finding guys because originally, you know, originally I thought, well, man, I think Georgia's recruiter does about, about as great a linebacker as I could possibly see in that scheme. Right. And then they got him and he's unreal. So the recognition with a lot of the things Michigan does in terms of, you know, pulling linemen, doing that kind of like, Finally, like it's very weird to see what uh, what Gaddis has done because a lot of the outside looks like you know standard spread stuff, but everything happening inside looks like that Dreamtime giant jumbo genius Stanford football yes. that Harbaugh did. It's an interesting hybrid, and that's the kind of thing that works real well if the linebackers don't pick up blocks and don't recognize what's happening. Georgia's linebackers are going to pick up blocks and they're going to recognize what's happening. That just seems to me to be like a given. So that's a point of contact thing that like, I won't know until I see it, whether Michigan's going to be able to really move those guys around a lot. I know it's possible to scheme around Jordan Davis. Like I didn't think that was really possible, but Alabama did it with a line that had given up all kinds of pressure previously. The, the other thing, and this is, this is just so you know, Ace, because this is the thing that I think people don't usually expect with Georgia. Their punter's fucking awesome. <laughs> and it's just, it is, it is the real twist of the knife that your defense will get a stop where they'll get a three and out. And you're just like, yes, this is what we need. We're going to get good field, field position out of this. And Jake Kamarda, like... He does. He he hasn't punted enough to show up on a lot of the stat rankings where you sort of have to hit a minimum. They've only punted the ball forty times this season, including the conference championship game. But he's like he's a top ten punter, absolutely. So so like if if there are two things you should mentally be prepared for as a Michigan fan to just absolutely hate, it's getting run on by this goofy ass quarterback, and it's Jake Camarda like uncorking two to three, just beautiful punts. That's going to be, uh, I mean, Michigan just got past a game where the entire second quarter went scoreless against Iowa because they just spent it. Uh, two great punters punting back and forth, and uh, Michigan was a team pinned deep, so Iowa tried to advance the field position. wasn't happening, and it was just a complete stalemate. So maybe that's what we get for, I don't know, <laughs> an entire 60 minutes. Um, the other... Spencer, you brought up the linebackers on one side. The kind of the one thing that stands out to me as a concern for Michigan's defense, other than slowing down that run game, is that Brock Bowers is incredible. And uh, 
Michigan has had some trouble. I mean, Iowa had a little bit of success early, just leaking out their tight end against Michigan. There's been a couple other teams that have done that. And Michigan doesn't have the best cover linebackers. So I don't know if it's possible for them to provide a little extra safety help. It doesn't seem like Georgia has the most dynamic receivers, although George Pickens coming back changes that a little bit. But how much can Michigan focus on Bowers without kind of making the rest of the defense unsound? No, don't worry about him because he's going to get 100 yards. That's the don't, other way to do but, it. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's incredible and he's going to eat. So don't, don't just know that he's going to damage you between the 20s. You just want to make sure that he doesn't get a whole lot of breathing room in the red zone. And that's easier to do because there's less room to work. But in the open field, no, that dude, he caught a screen that should have gone for about 10 yards against Alabama and ran through three tackles for a score. I don't really know what to tell you. He's 18. Um, everything heals like three seconds after it breaks on him. And he's bigger and faster than anyone you've got. So don't make it about him. Treat him like Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Let him get his buckets. Just stop everybody else. All right, this is Ace again. That was the teaser portion of the episode. The Haters Guide to Georgia from our two distinguished Florida men and their predictions for this Orange Bowl semifinal are available at www.thebucketproblem.com. I sincerely hope you sign up, listen to the episode, and stick around for all of the football and basketball content that uh, we'll be bringing to you all through this playoff season and into basketball season and beyond. So thank you for listening and uh, hope you'll join us on the subscriber only feed.